As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures, but there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to DevDiary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Philip Mays, current Managing Director and Founder at Mighty Kingdom. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Philip. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> it's been a night. Yeah, it's uh, it's been an exercise in getting this one together. We've we've had some disconnects in terms of uh, well, not thankfully not the actual connection, but uh, getting ourselves together and getting this call organised. But it's it's good that we're finally chatting, and I'm I'm keen to pick your brain. Yeah, no, excited to excited to be here. Uh, this is Dev Diary series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that has led to this current point in time. Now, Philip, you've done some really cool stuff, and we're going to get to all of that soon. We've, there's some great things that uh, Mighty Kingdom is doing, some fantastic initiatives there. But before we get to all of your work that's actually within the industry, I wanted to rewind to a point before that. And just before we started recording, we were reminiscing on a few a few different things, not, not necessarily all, all of which we'd... Uh, want to acknowledge that we actually did when we were younger but before all of that as well there was early gaming experiences do you recall what some of your first gaming experiences were do you remember what your first game was that you played well that's going back a very very long way and um uh, just to reiterate your point i'm pretty grateful to have grown up in a time before digital cameras and the permanence of the internet i managed to get oh, a lot yeah. of things done in my youth that uh we could actually be productive right <laughs> But no, um, I was very lucky early on, my parents sort of saw the appeal of, of, of computers and, and they, they, they saw that was going to be a, a, something that was going to change the world. And so I got a Commodore 64 quite, quite early and it came with a, a tape drive and, and a bunch of tapes. And so I can't remember the exact first game we played, but that was essentially that was the first gaming experience I had and uh, you know, that I really recall. And I know my, my parents, when I was cleaning up their, their house once, I found an old uh, old Atari, but I don't really remember plugging that in. I was a bit too young to, to sort of form a lot of memories around it. Yep. But it was that it was the Commodore 64 that my brother and I had in our bedroom that we just wiled away the hours on. Uh, the games took so long to load, taking 15, 20 minutes to get a game, you know, single game to load back in those cool. days. That would would put a game on, you know, push the old load, uh, hit hit play on the on the cassette player, and then go outside and play cricket until the game was was done. So. It was a yeah a different time. And, yeah, Far you know, Cry from these it. days where people complain if <laughs> you know two or three seconds have passed and their game isn't booting up or if it's not instant. Uh, look, especially with these new consoles, right? The PlayStation Five and the new Xbox. Uh, I was just you. Minecraft is one of the ones my kids play a lot, and yeah. it was very frustrating watching that thing load. <laughs> but now it's a click, you know, a, a couple of seconds, and then off, off you're going. It's amazing. It, we've come a long way, even even in this more modern context. We've come a long way in a very short space of time, and. Oh, yeah. Who knows what's still to come, really? Well, if you do, can you please tell me? Because then I'll be making games for it. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll be sure to keep you in the loop if I get any any tips from uh, the heads at Sony or Microsoft. <laughs> Good stuff. Do you have any particular favourite franchises or titles, even just as you grew up, that you you really attach yourself to? Yeah, there's, there's ones that really sort of stick out in your mind. Uh, for me. The Civilization franchise was, was a oh, huge yes. one. I used to, it was one I always used to go back to. And uh, and SimCity, those early strategy games, a friend and I used to play it by, by mail. We'd play a few turns each and then send the, the save file off 
on a disc. Wow. Mail, uh, That's cool. And then they'd play a few turns and then send it back. So yeah, those are, those are some of my early sort of multiplayer, pre-multi, you know, pre-internet memories. But uh, it, there was a lot of, I've always been a bit of an omnivore when it comes to gaming. So Doom was a big influence. Uh, I played a lot of racing games, played a lot of fighting games. You know, it was... Yeah, you really did get around. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot, right? You, you played everything that came by. I guess you're better than I. I was. I was very focused on my. I guess when when I was growing up, you know, it was JRPGs and platformers, and I guess I'd stray a little bit into the action space through you know some Zelda's and, and the like. But it was very one or two dimensional in, in my case. So yeah, you're the polar opposite in that space where you really, really <laughs> dabbled, and that's that's really quite cool. It's, I, tried, I tried everything. Well, it can't, it can't be a bad thing, the, really. Variety in the spice the original, of life. Um, the original Outer Scrolls. Uh, Oh yeah, Daggerfall Arena. It was called. Oh my god! So you know, these are going back a a, a very long way in the dark, distant past. But again, you just look at the, the the leaps and bounds that those things have come along. Each each game that they release, and just sort of these little markers, right? I remember Morrowind just sucking up so many hours, uh, just oh. exploring every nook and cranny of that place. Yeah, it was it was amazing. So yeah, a lot of great memories. Yeah, I, there's a lot of people that are calling for Morrowind to get remade, you know, a la Skyrim or something like that. But I really hope they don't. Because I just I know what's going to happen, and it sounds like you'd be much the same. Like there's hundreds of hours gone, hundreds of hours that I just don't have. Yeah, and it's it's difficult, right? Because you look at uh, look at what's happened recently with the GTA remasters, and yeah, and there's never it's not a guarantee that it's going to be done the right way. And often the, the the version that you have in your memory is quite different to reality. And I remember we put a lot of mods into it. You know, you, you change up a lot of things to try and get it to run on your PC, even and you know, or even to just to try and up the fidelity in certain places and so i think my version of morrowind that's in my brain is not the same as it would ever be in a remaster so happy to leave it there in the, in the distant past yeah many more games that i can sink hundreds of hours into that i haven't got to yet exactly right um and if nothing else we've got the music we can listen to some of the music for morrowind and that'll take us back <laughs> and we don't have to actually look at the game and remember what it looked like was there a game at all that or maybe a collection of games a collection of experiences that you necessarily identify as being important to you getting on the path to actually pursue the creation of games at all or like how, how did that first opportunity kind of emerge and were there any particular times that were important in coming to that yeah, conclusion it's, a, it's an interesting question because it was a bit of a um, unexpected path my my turn into into game development i'd been sort of merrily having a career in it doing all those things and, and yep. sort of doing, doing all the right things moving up the ranks and and uh, you know ticking all the boxes and it was a um, my partner at the time who was looking to study uh, advertising saw that the same school offered a game development course and, and flicked me an email said hey check this out and you know I'd I'd learned to program back on my Commodore 64 and I'd sort of dabble a little bit as, as I'd gone along but never really thought that there was an opportunity to make games in New Zealand because you know I grew up in New Zealand yeah and when I, when I saw that course I just was like oh my god this this is exactly what I want to do in my life and so it wasn't really a catalyst this was around the time when Half Life was out actually so it was. Yeah, okay. to sort of put it in, put it into because uh, I remember in my in my going away party, I got a CD key for Half Life <laughs> from my oh, work. You know, like you, you know what you got to want to play this one. But, it's a good, uh, it's a good yeah, one so, to kind of take on at the same time as actually pursuing <laughs> this path. Like, there's the benchmark. Go and chase it. But one, one of the hilarious things, so 2004, I started the course. 2005, when we finished. One of in our in our sort of uh, retrospective, our postmortem. Uh, one of the the things that was the biggest issue that arose during the development of our final project was that World of Warcraft came out <laughs> and half of the team was staying the time until sink. 2 or 3 or 4 in the morning just playing World of Warcraft and 
yeah, I'd say productivity really took a dive in the, in the back half of that. But uh, yeah, no, there's, there's there's a lot of like I say, I, I tend to play a lot. Um, there's a few games I dive deeply into and, and really uh, sort of get absorbed by it. Like Mass Effect was one. Um, oh yeah. That took me, you know, by hook, hook, line, and sinker, and I just had to go through the whole lot right through to the end. I waited till they all came out before I started playing the first. And uh, yeah, there's a few like um, New Super Mario Brothers on the on the DS. Yep. Could not put that down. Had to wait. Had to get the had to get the three shells on your on your save to say that you had 100 percent completed. You done everything. You know? Yeah. So there's a few. Burnout Paradise is another one. Could not could not stop until I had uh, every last car. <laughs> These are some so, yeah. fantastic choices. <laughs> yeah, the good ones stick, right? The well, that's true. Another one on the PS4. I couldn't. I just couldn't believe it when I started playing it. It was, it was just visually amazing. So had to get that one to 100. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, awesome titles. A lot of them. You've you, you've got good taste, and again, it's still you know, <laughs> as you kind of alluded to earlier, it's still across lots of different genres as well. So it seems like you've really maintained that sort of a little bit from here and a little bit from there. Taste, you know, lots of taste testing, I guess, to, from those different genres for one of maybe a better phrase. Yeah, I think it's something that you start to do as you move into the industry. You start to look at what other people are doing and how they're doing it, and and see what what lessons you can pick. Um, you know, I haven't even sort of touched on all the mobile games I play. I've probably got about three or four. Yeah. And I'm sort of running at any one time. You know, they, they sort of have that. Uh, I, I like to talk about them as being like soap operas. They're always there. There's always a new storyline. There's always a new little uh, what, something to discover. What are you running in the mobile space at the moment? Because, I mean, that that's one area that, like, I will dabble very, very occasionally. And it it's usually because it's something, you know, it's attached to an IP that I might be interested in or... Or again, you know, touching on the JRPG thing before, there was there's Fantasian, for example, on the on the Apple side, um, but you know that's Miss Walker, and there's Final Fantasy people and JRPG, so like they've got me in the door through that. Uh, but yeah, what is it for you right now that's that's keeping you interested in the mobile space? So there's a couple of things I won't say because they might give some oh, away. They're your own. Okay, that's fair. That's all right. We'll, we'll dance away from those. But um, we've been playing. Oh, I've been playing AFK Arena a lot. Uh, yep. That one's sort of stuck stuck around in a way that a few others haven't. I've tried really hard to get into Genshin Impact, but it just doesn't do it for me. Not I don't quite. know why. It's couldn't couldn't quite crack that nut. But uh, Ava's Manor, which is actually a project that uh, Mighty Kingdom makes in partnership with a company yep. called Yukon in, in Toronto. Uh, so it's a solitaire game. I love solitaire. <laughs> so it's another. It's one a great my, game. It's another one of my uh, touchstones, right? Playing uh, solitaire on on the old Windows ninety five. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I did plenty to, of that. Uh, watching all those cards bounce down one by one. You know, that was a. That was that was that was a lot of fun. So, I was always trying to min-max my solitaire, trying to complete those games in under a minute. Uh, I, I think speed solitaire. I'm the only one. <laughs> I think people go to play solitaire to relax, and I tend to go there to try and challenge myself. To so I assume it, I assume you've then tried uh, Mike Bithell's Mike Bithell's the solitaire conspiracy, right? I, I have it downloaded, but I haven't started. I haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> Can you believe it? It's, it it yeah. is fa- that's a fantastic title. So and. Just might yeah. tickle, that, oh, scratch that itch. There's so many, there's so many solitaire titles, and people are remixing it up now and looking at ways to, that solitaire can be different, right? And I think that's that's super exciting as well. With all these things that you think are locked in, you, you're finding all these new ways to, to explore them, crack them open. And, yeah, yeah that's, that's one of the it's one of the crazy things about mobile, right? Is there's so much, it's so accessible, you know, in the way that even um, perhaps sort of PC console is, is you know sort of trending away from. That there's just so much stuff there, so much experimental stuff. It's really exciting and interesting and the audience is willing to give everything a go right then you just have to tap and touch you know everything is free yeah, it's, it's the accessibility makes a big difference yeah. 
And also really interesting, I guess, just to quickly cycle back on that, it's interesting that, uh, like, I've spoken to all, you know, oh, what's this, like, episode... We're mid, midway in the 70s now at this point. I've spoken to a lot of people over the journey, and not many of them often talk about going back and, for whatever the reason, going back and replaying their own games. It's almost like a, I've been too close to this, I need to be able to put a bit of distance, or I've spent too much time with it, I need to I need to distance myself, and yet, there you are, dabbling with your own titles. It's, it's quite cool. <laughs> I think the first well, person must, that's openly admitted yeah. that anyway. It's not to say that no one else has, but first person to have openly admitted on the show. And I'll, and I'll give them a bit of a break and say that uh, for, for me, when I was a programmer, when I was actively on the tools programming every day, yeah, it's really hard to get away from all the things that you see that you've done wrong and uh, all the mistakes and, and all the missed opportunities. Whereas, you know, in my role these days, I'm a bit more of a, um, I guess, like an executive yeah. <laughs> rather than sort of actively on the tools. And so you have a little bit of distance from it, but I'm sure if you ask people on the team, They'll be a bit frustrated seeing because they see it every single day, right? Some people are actually paid to play that every day. Yeah, so, right. Uh, it would be a bit frustrating for them to go home and, and, and fire it up for a bit of fun. That yeah, okay, that makes a bit more sense. So we we spoke about um, getting involved in the in the uni course there and and jumping across. How did that first opportunity emerge to actually get in the industry? Because I've, you know, there's some fantastic credits. We've got Rap Bag, which obviously that was a very very short uh, tenure there before the <laughs> yep. whole thing. Uh, played out there i mean we, we recently recently had uh, both steve and Lindsay from chrome on the show to talk about well that in part on top of everything else as well so um we know you know anyone who listens to the show knows a little bit about what happened there but what, what was it like getting into the industry and that experience and it, and as we continue to go from that point on yeah so i, I was very lucky in, in my studies and that I, I met a really good friend he's still a good friend of mine um, stephen harris from, from ninja kiwi uh, yep. he and his brother started Ninja Kiwi after we after we graduated, and he, he just that that, that little studio. Yeah, they've, they've you know they <laughs> just uh, check the news and see what they've done recently. It's pretty impressive. But the um, he had this insight that the, the the two sort of tutors that we had in our course were from industry. They're from three um, DS, so both at EA. And he he said to me one day, he's like, they're not going to stay here. You know, we, we've got them now, but they're going to get bored. They're going to go somewhere. They're going to get headhunted. They're too good to to just be off this course. So let's. Let's get to know them. Let's get them to know us, and then wherever they go in the industry, that'll be our way. We'll in. get them. And I was like, oh, all right, that's that's a really smart play. It was a really great insight. Just hang so off coattails. Yeah, yeah, we got to know them. Got to know one in particular really well, and and uh, and, the, and the other quite well. And they both got picked up by Midway, uh, and Midway acquired uh, Ratbag and, and renamed it Midway Games Australia. And uh, one of those contacts reached out to me directly after I graduated and said, I'd like you to apply. And that was it. That's how I, that's how I got my start. So as a junior, I was relocated across. Uh, he was able to convince them that I was good enough <laughs> to take a punt on. And, what what, it, what yeah, would, do you think, and this is not meant to be in any sort of disrespectful way, but what, what do you think it was that they, they saw? Because at that point, you're obviously still a student. You haven't necessarily got this wealth of experience or maybe even the biggest portfolio to be able to show off what you're capable of. What, I mean, was it expressed to you why it was, you know, why there was the, hey, we want you? Like, you've not proven yourself yet, yeah. but we want you. Like, what, do you know what that was about at all? It's funny, right? Because you, you sort of stumble through your career at times and, and, you, and you sort of attribute some things to your own smarts and then you realize it was just luck. Good luck. <laughs> so for me, I think one of the things I sort of reflected on across my career is the ability to talk to people from a bunch of different departments and to make what we do at programming, which is, can be quite technical and quite complex, and make it understandable and actionable so we can actually find a solution to problems, right? Yeah. So you sit down with designers, you sit down with artists, you sit down with animators, and you work through what's going on, what needs to be fixed, and and, and if you can do that in a, 
in a way that makes everyone feel good and feel listened to and, and, and feel part of the process, then you're going to get, get a great result. Even if you're not the greatest programmer, like if you can just be that bridge between those different departments, then that, um, that's sort of a skill set that I've I sort of reflected on. And, you know, I was, I was a little bit older when I studied uh, game development. I was in my, in my mid-20s, mid-late-20s. So there's, you know, I had done a bunch of other things. One of the things I was reflecting on recently with some friends was everyone should work in retail <laughs> because you uh, you see the best and the worst of humanity <laughs> when you have to be uh, yeah. working in a retail environment. And uh, it teaches you to be very humble because, <laughs> you know, there's a lot that happens in those environments that you just have to accept and move on from and uh, and understand that sometimes people are having a terrible day and it's not because they hate you, it's just because of the, you know, the way that life has treated them. And it gives you the opportunity to step back from that personal attack and and uh, and you know protect your ego at, at the same time as being able to offer them some support. And I think that's an invaluable lesson as well to be understand that when people are angry or in the moment or they're criticizing um, the work, they're not criticizing you; they're just criticizing the work. And oftentimes, if you can get through that uh, through that anger uh, and get to what the core is, either the core of what's making them so frustrated, in which case you can help them as a person. Or the core of what's you know happening within the product or within the thing that you're working on and actually get to some actionable feedback um yeah so just remaining calm in crisis i guess would be my only other other strength no that, that makes a lot of sense and actually now that you meant like i never worked retail my wife did for a while there i'll have to go and pick her brain after we're done here and uh just explore some of those ideas with her i'm sure she's got some fantastic stories <laughs> well i mean look i i just certainly heard a few but there's probably a bit from even before before we met, so I'll, I'll have to pick her brain a little bit. Now, you did join Ratbag, and I guess as you kind of highlighted, a little bit of luck there, um, potentially getting the door, but you got in the door, and it's it's obviously panned out incredibly well long-term, but the, the immediate period there was a bit rough. You got in, and Ratbag didn't last that much longer, so where was your head at when everything happened to the studio? You're still so fresh. I mean, does that... Did you feel like, oh, maybe I, I need to get out of here? Like, this is a sinking ship. Do I do I pursue this or do I go back to a comfy space? What was going through your head at the time? Uh, I'm never one to sort of take a backward step. To be to be fair, so I'd uh, you know to go back to when I decided to, to study game development. I it was a postgraduate de uh, diploma. I, I don't have a degree. I never graduated. Yeah. And so to get in, I had to ace the the entrance interview, and. Um, the way, the way I sort of put, motivated myself to do that was to write an application for the course and hand in my resignation at my job on the same day. Uh, so I, I put myself in a position that there's only success. Right? There's only success in front of you. So you know, when, I got over, when I got over to Ratbag, I had come from a corporate IT world. And so I found it very unstructured compared to what I was used to. And I thought, you know, wow, this is a very different kind of industry, uh, but very exciting, very dynamic, uh, very long hours, but in those, in those, even in those early weeks. Um, and then yeah, it all fell over uh, very quickly. All, all my stuff was still on a boat coming over from New Zealand. I didn't have anything. Oh wow! I had, a, I had a mattress on the floor. I had uh, like a, I didn't have a TV. I just had a microwave on a box as a you know microwave box as a, as a coffee table. Uh, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty rough. So I was like, wow, that's this is exciting. <laughs> the games industry, uh, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. And I've, I've been made redundant once before in my career, so I kind of knew the, the process. Uh, and I was, and look, they treated me very well. Like someone who'd been there so short, I you know, had a, a relatively soft landing. Um, I should also point out that in this time, uh, you know, I'd been in, in Adelaide for less than two months. I, I met um, uh, the woman who'd become my wife. <laughs> so oh, we ended up, that's awesome. Uh, so 
in that same time, I was, I was getting to know Michelle. Uh, so I had a lot of reasons to stay. <laughs> and uh, so that was, um, you know, that, that sort of, the way, the way that Ratbag handled it, they, the management there reached out to every game developer around Australia and Ratbag had a really good reputation. And a lot of them flew recruiters into Adelaide to mass interview everybody. And that was an experience. So you go from the, 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 the crazy rush of just trying to crunch out, a, out to a deadline, incredible low of being told that not only are you not getting continuing this project, but the whole studio is going to close. So the really just insane party that we had after that, where everyone just let everything out, and then trying to figure out yeah what next, right? And and um, so they all they all flew in. We we had a lot of interviews. Uh, Chrome, they saw that there was a lot of talent in Adelaide that didn't want to leave, and they thought, well, hey, look, you know, we're we're based in Brisbane. It would be a shame to miss out on all these people. I wonder if we should open a studio here. And a couple of people, uh, uh, Dave Knott. Uh, Mike Cooper and, and Andrew's Tunnel and a few others, they, they got together and, and convinced the, the team up in, uh, at Chrome to, to set up a, to convince Walshi to, to set up a studio in Adelaide. And one of the programmers recommended me. So Mike Cooper said, hey, this guy Phil, he he's only just got here. He's got nowhere else to be. He should, he should come along as well. He actually <laughs> advocated for me to, to, to get in there. So I ended up with a few offers on the table, but one of them involved me not having to, to move anywhere. And that's the one I took. That's the ideal one, right? Yeah, <laughs> but no, it was it was and it was an experience. Like Chrome was was a very different company, and I learned a lot very quickly. Like you know, I, I sort of shot up in my career from being a junior programmer to a senior programmer, or, or, or the stepping stone was an experienced programmer there. Like very quickly, within like six months, it was you know we, we were given some really curly things to do, some really great projects to work on. You know, we worked on on Spyro, worked on um, Hellboy, Star <laughs> Wars, on, uh, and. Star Wars, yeah, a lot of Star Wars, some Transformers sprinkled in there as well, and and even just a lot of little behind the scenes things that you don't, you know, that never get revealed. Yeah, it was it it, it was insane. It was, it was really crazy, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of things that I learned there, a lot of, a lot of good things and a lot of you know things that would would change. And so when I was in a position to, um, you know, as I sort of got towards the end of my time at Chrome, I, I sort of realized that you know, we, we were a sort of one project studio, the, the size of studio that we were in Adelaide. And the, the lead program in front of me wasn't going anywhere. He was pretty happy, <laughs> like he was pretty entrenched. So I thought if I ever wanted to lead a project, I'm probably have to go somewhere else. I don't really want to go somewhere else, uh, you know, because I quite like it here. And then a, a friend of mine who, who was a bit more plugged into the tech scene, saw yeah. the phones come out, thought, here's the thing, we should, uh, we should look at making apps for this. So on the side, I started to pick up some app development. That sort of great gained some traction. And so I decided to, to leave Chrome and, and, and start pursuing that. And that became Mighty Kingdom in a, in a roundabout way. Yeah, I mean, like the, this next phase, I've got like there's a few different names I can throw out there. There's uh, Connect Broadcast, we've got Happy, uh, Happy Inspector, there's Rise Games, and then of course Mighty Kingdom. Oh, All wow. yeah, I, I was picking through LinkedIn earlier today. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I'd say I'd say one of my other secret superpowers is the ability to forget all these things and just worry about the problems in front of me. That was oh, a little mini a, blast from the past there. Yeah, it is some names I haven't heard in a very very long time. But yeah, essentially we were we were looking at this mobile space and, and looking at what worked. And we tried a few different things in the tourism space and a bunch of different things. And Happy Inspector was a um, property inspection software, and that that that's still going. It's called Happy Co now, and uh, has offices in the US and and in Australia. And uh, yeah, Jindo was my co-founder there, and in and in, in in Mighty Kingdom, he taught me a lot. He was like. Uh, that was like um, you know what do you call it entrepreneurship 101 I had oh, a yeah. seat at the table with, with, 
the crazy hustler that you, you've ever met. He, he, he made things happen. He saw the world in a different way and, and sort of opened my eyes to a lot of things. Like uh, one of my favorite stories about him is game related. So he was a bit of a gamer and uh, he loved to play uh, Street Fighter. And, you know, I, I mean, I like to play with a Street Fighter, but he's like, no, I only want to play it if I have one of those arcade sticks. You know, I don't want to play on a, on a controller because it's just not the same. And I was like, okay, well, how much is one of those? And he's like, oh, they're like 300 bucks. We were pretty poor. We were just starting out, startups, you know, didn't have a lot of money to spare. So for me, I was like, oh, well, that's it then. You know, I guess we weren't Can't do that. on. And, uh, you know, probably about two or three months later, I was around at his house and I saw one of them sitting under his TV and I was like, where did you get that? He's like, oh, it's a little bit of a story. He said, after you told me they were 300, I found them online uh, for 250. And I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, but you had to buy 10. And I was like, oh, God. So did you buy 10? He's like, no. I spent on eBay and put nine up for sale for $275 and sold them, and sold them all because they were cheaper than what you get in the shop. Because they were $25 cheaper. Paid 25 bucks. Yeah. So, you know, Absolute and then genius. Later. I was like, oh man, that's how you solve a problem. <laughs> and so that was a sort of, you know, uh, sort of, I was going to say living with Jindo, but, uh, but just going through that, that, that early phase of Mighty Kingdom and with uh, Happy Inspector with Jindo just opened my eyes to how the world can be approached and what opportunities there are if you just look at the world a bit differently and so that's sort of you know that was, well, you, again, you call that an opportunity i call that one hustling but that's it's very well done regardless yeah <laughs> well if you think about it everyone got what they wanted which is hilarious yeah you know, and that's everyone got a discount one of the things, every, yeah and that's that's one of the things that we always try to look for right is like there's always a way that everyone can win and you, you got to put, put in the work to find those opportunities rather than just try and be greedy because you get a reputation for just looking out for yourself then no one ever comes back to you right yeah they'll, they'll feel ripped off and then they'll walk away and then you're starting from square one again and you have to start building that trust back so just you know don't be a jerk i think i mean another, I, I think we're seeing a very high profile case of that sort of thing going on right now so <laughs> um I, and i think the point is very correct and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about games or any other any other sorry mm. any other industry it's it's always about looking out uh, looking out for others not just yourself and if you do that you're three quarters of the way towards being very successful in what it, whatever it is you're doing. The unselfish yeah, I mean, approach is all that matters. And in any, any industry you're in, and, and particularly in games, it gets very small. Like the industry gets very small at the top, right? Like once you start to, to gain some, um, have some success, and start to go to those to those functions. You know, go to GDC, you go to those things. You realise you see the same faces again and again, and and you quickly learn who to who to talk to and who to avoid. Uh, and you should make it a, a, a you know you don't want to be one of the people that everyone's avoiding you want to be one of the ones that everyone recommends you want to be the one ones who always gets invited out so just just be nice it doesn't hurt yeah. it doesn't, it's not hard just be kind uh, and uh, good things will come 100 percent. so how do all of those because that i mean there's a few different things from happy inspector as we just mentioned there to my like there, there's a lot of <laughs> they, they, you know poles apart in terms of the nature of a few of these things how are you juggling all those things because uh, you know the, the window of time here we're talking from basically 10, 2010 to now um with these various other like, you know mighty kingdom being kind of the, the constant i guess in a lot of ways but these other little pieces to the puzzle dotted in along the way how are you spinning those plates what did that look like on that on that daily basis at various <laughs> stages was there well, a bit I, of I burning it. the candle at both ends for a while there oh for sure and you learn to be very efficient as a programmer <laughs> yeah with your time and uh like I've always considered myself, like I used to, to joke that I was a lazy programmer, but I, I, was, a, I was a firm believer in, in spending, you should spend your time solving your problems, right? not, not redoing something that someone else has already solved. 
you know, your time is limited, so just focus on the things that are important to you. And so I'd always look for solutions that already existed, yeah. stand on the shoulders of giants, work with other people's stuff. So that way you're spending more time on the differentiators and less time on just how do you draw a triangle on the screen? Like, you know, I've done all that stuff when I was at uni, I don't need to do it again. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, that was, part of it was just being really careful about how you design these things to make sure that you're, you're being smart, reusing stuff as much as you can. A lot of it is, yeah, just going crazy. I was, I was young and silly <laughs> and just, you know, burnt the candle pretty, pretty crazily. It, it did all kind of change in 2011. That was sort of the catalyst for all the change. So my, um, we had, a, had my son, so that was... Yep. You know, when, when, you, when you Children pregnant, tend to do that. There's, there's a, well, there's a ticking clock, right? When you're like, I can't keep this up. You know, I know this is all going to change. So it was a bit about um, a bit of hygiene, a bit of cleaning up. So heading into 2012, uh, I was really just focused on Mighty Kingdom and, and Happy Inspector. And, and then Happy Inspector sort of jumped to the front. We, we had the opportunity to take that to the US, um, raise some capital there and, and, and really go on a ride. That sort of came through Startmate. We worked through Startmate, which was a, a, a fantastic experience that I'd recommend anyone, anyone uh, who's in, interested in business should, should give it a go or connect with those people. But um, that was also when I realized that I didn't want to make property inspection software for the rest of my life. And it's yeah, <laughs> not, not a, probably like a big surprise, but you, you, get these, you get to a point, there's a lot of times where you, I always often say this to, to, to people is, make sure you're taking control of your career and you know where you're going because it's very easy to just coast from opportunity to opportunity and then suddenly look back and go, where am I? Like, is this where yeah. I want to be? And uh, I, I sort of had that moment with, with Happy Inspector. You're on that ride and it, is a, it was a real rush. And, uh, but I remember sitting when we got back from, from our big whirlwind around the world trip thinking, do I want to move to San Francisco? Do I want to raise a kid in the US? Do I want to have a, do I want to do a startup which is going to take five, you know, 10 years to, to come to fruition? And if I am going to do that, do I want it to be property inspection? <laughs> like, I, it's yeah, it's quite narrow, that. I guess, yeah. the the potential there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that that made me, I mean, look, Jindo was a game UI artist, right? So he, he, the, the reason that Happy Inspector was as good as it was is that he was bringing all those game design sensibilities into a p particularly boring industry, right? So there was livened a lot it up. We were, yeah. A lot that we were doing, which was inspired by, by game tech. But, but you know, inspired by game tech and, and actually making games are two very different things. And so I wanted to get back into into game development, uh, and I wanted to I wanted to do an Adelaide. I wanted to raise a family here. I, I love it here. It's a great it's a great city, uh, a great place to be. And at the same time, you know, I wanted to do something a bit different than what was being done. You know, it's like if I'm going to do this, I'm going to commit to this. It's not to just have a lifestyle business and just you know potter along. Um, you know, always struggling to make ends meet. It's like I want to either want to blow it up. As in, you know, make it make it big, or yep. just uh, blow it up. As in, just like erase it, right? Like, go go hard or go home. All or nothing. You know? Yeah, and and so, you know, I, I kind of made a conscious decision to push push very hard uh, at growth. Uh, I'd, yeah, as you as you pointed out, I came into the industry in two thousand and five when there were, you know, crime at its peak was over four hundred people, four hundred fifty people or so. Uh, I mean, we had um, <laughs> we had so many. I can't even the names are all escaping me now. But Sega was here. 2K was here, uh, pan, you know, Pandemic was here. There's so many studios that you could work at. Oh, it was and massive, really, and then the crash and happened. Yeah. And when I, in 2012, 13, when I was sort of retooling Mighty Kingdom, there was no big studio, right? There was, there was Heartbreak were doing some cool things, but you know, they weren't pushing up to that, to that, well, what I saw is that next level, right? Like it, it was a very mobile dominated industry, much better, than, you know, today. Um, you know, it's much, much better spread today. But the, uh, 
I saw an opportunity to, to do something, to grow in an industry where no one was growing and, and to tell a different story and to be a bit of a lightning rod for, for talent, for opportunity. And, you know, if you're looking across, like publishers do this, right? All, all the people are looking around the world, looking for the next opportunity, looking for where they can get the next, um, sort of the cool ideas. Yeah. And I look at Australia and they go, why aren't we doing any work in Australia? Like, that's just the thing, right? Because they are working everywhere around the world. And if you're looking, if you're surveying the scene and you see one company that's twice as big as everyone else, you know, you'd be like, what are they doing? You know, so- you uh, Try and work out why was, you picked the brain. Yeah, yeah. The thesis was, you know, if we if we stood out from the crowd, then would be that that magnet for for talent and and for for opportunity, and and it and it more or less bore out. Like it's you know, there's theory and practice, are often very different, but it, it it more or less went the way we thought, right, or, or the way I thought that if we could just push through the noise and, and get up above, um, it you know, it doesn't mean that you're going all in on on a few ideas at certain points, and uh, one of those was uh, Shopkins, which might seem like a crazy thing to go all yep. in on, but. It was one of the, those brands that comes along almost once in your lifetime. You'd expect, right? That we were we were very lucky to, to do some work with Disney uh, that got us the attention of, of the team at Moose, and so they trusted us with with, with this brand of theirs that had just sort of been was on the cusp of sort of breaking out in a big way. And as we were working with them, it, it shot up to become the, the number three toy brand in the world, right? Like, which was is no big. small feat. No. <laughs> It was just Lego, and I can't remember the other one. Might have been Star Wars, just above them. But it was, yeah. You think about Barbie. You think about all these things. They were knocking them all off. They were they were up there at the top. And so that was, that was an insane ride. And uh, yeah, so that one paid off um, tremendously and, and opened so many doors, like unbelievably. Right? People look past these these markets. They look past you know, kids' games or games for girls or games for women or whatever. But they open so many doors because the people who run the studios. Their, their wives are playing, their kids are playing, you know, their mums are playing. So there's, they are seeing the content that you create. So when I'd go to conferences and, like, I don't know if you know, um, seriously, they make uh, Best Fiends. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar. So they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're fantastic. Love, lovely guys. It's a lovely group. And uh, so one of the guys who works there, he's incredibly tall, like seven foot tall. And uh, I saw him at this, it's hard not to see him, but I saw him at this, at this party and I was like, oh my God, I want to go talk to him. I love what, you know, the way that they, they think about brand building, the way that they that they constructed their company. I was like so impressed by I wanted to have a chat to him. And I went over to have a talk and, and he, was, he was really nice and he was saying, oh, you know, I'm just trying to get into my, I love what you do speech. And he's like, oh, so where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm just from, and he looked at my shirt and he saw the Mighty Kingdom logo and he's like, oh, you're the Shopkins guys. And I was like, <laughs> what? And he's like, oh my God, my daughter loves him. I have to take a photo with you. And he was like bending down trying to take a, take a selfie with me to send to his daughter. And I was like, Oh my god! Like Shopkins cuts through in a way that few other things do, right? It was, it was, it was insane. So look, that was, yeah, that think, was a rush. And that was exciting. Yeah, you're right. I, I think we can all maybe based on our particular taste, we have that kind of cone vision cone, and we we do lose sight of all these other things out there. And even, I mean, I, I kind of touched on it before, and how I even was as a kid that you know I was JRPGs, I was action, I was platformers, and everything else was just noise to me mm. until I finally, and obviously this is kind of more within the traditional sort of gamer space, you know quote-unquote and all that sort of thing in terms you know what what was for the longest time associated as being what a good game was um what a popular game could be and i had that particular cone of my taste and when i took a step outside i discovered all of these other incredible things that had been there for such a long time that i just needed like needed to have the right experience with and i think there's a similar-ish sort of thing here maybe potentially talking to to different portions of the audience as well but it doesn't make them any more or less important. It's these are experiences for everyone and they connect to people in different ways and engage people in different ways and bring joy in different ways. They're all incredibly important. 
Oh, look, and you, you touched on it earlier when we were talking about your experience on the Wii before we jumped on air. Oh, um, yeah, yeah let, let's not tell everyone about that one. That was a <laughs> horrible act from an 18-year-old bullying a five-year-old. But anyway. Sorry, I remember we all being there. But uh, no, the, um, but the point I was going to make is, you know, I was working at, at Chrome when the Wii came out. And we, I did a, bit, a, few, a few games on, on the Wii. But the thing that blew me away was, you know, the, like gaming had become to be seen as this very particular type of thing and, and through a very particular lens, like you say. And, you know, the controller was this, if you think about what the Nintendo NES controller was, up, down, left, right, BA start, right? Like real yep. simple. Through to, you know, I, I remember giving my wife a controller once and, and uh, a thing popped up and said, push the, the right bumper. And she's like, what's a bumper? Like, <laughs> there's all this terminology you have to learn just to even push a button on, on the controller. So it was just uh, impenetrable to so many people. And then the Wii comes along and says, do you know how to throw a ball? We'll just, just do you that. Just do it. Throw you know how to hit a tennis ball just do that it's like just hold on to the control please yeah 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 just make sure you put that strap on but suddenly gaming everyone was gaming like everyone was sort of talking about oh my god old, old people and old folks having to playing the Wii and it's like yeah because everybody wants to play everybody is a gamer right but just for the longest period of time not everyone was playing games like not everyone had a game to play or something that spoke to them or, or showed them all or, or met them where they were and uh, so when you know when we saw the phone exploding what, what I what I looked at that as and I was like this is just the Wii again this is just everyone knows how to touch the screen like, there's no barrier here you don't have to explain to somebody what's working right like, in, in, I don't know if you remember those early days people fumbling around to try and put FPS games and action games on there that just oh work. yeah and then like Bejeweled or Candy Crush came out I was like oh this is it you just swipe and it was like that tactile sensation that you can get from a touch screen and the experiences that that, that led to it was now everyone can play right now you're seeing that market all those people who got led into gaming um, through a phone are now thinking, well, what's next? And they're looking beyond, right? And the Switch is like this great bridge device that keeps the best thing to touch screen and brings in the controls. And and you look at, I think, uh, I can't remember if it was PS4 or PS5 uh, sales stats that Sony put out to say that half of the all sales were, with, uh, were half of all consoles were owned by women, essentially. Yeah. And you know, and that's such a, such a shift from the ind- industry that I walked into. Uh, but it also just shows like, you know, there's a lot of, the dynamics of industry are changing very quickly and and there is like an incredibly vocal uh group that likes things to be the way they are that happens no matter oh, it doesn't matter whether we're talking uh, about games or or anything yeah. really it's there's always yeah. the the traditionalist and stuck people might be stuck in their yeah. ways or whatever it is but yeah or the old you know back in my day you know yeah. x was y and, and etc it's like I, I i can understand a little bit of that right because you do have that nostalgia for the past but at the same time uh, it's one thing to have nostalgia and something to be a gatekeeper and to actively um, you know be out there trying to restrict other people from enjoying themselves and that just it just drives me nuts so uh, yeah, been, yeah uh, you're right the sooner that sort of attitude it. dies the better but <laughs> let, let, let everyone enjoy but um, exactly another thing we should we should focus on here is the the grad program now that's that's something that yeah. uh we've got well it's a very short turnaround when this episode goes live if you're if you're listening and we'll explain in a bit more detail in a second but if if you're keen i'll I'll just kind of preface now you've got a day (laughs) so if you're listening to this today like on uh the tuesday we're going up at a different time uh as fast as possible to get this one up for everyone you've got a day so let's philip talk about what this grad program is to enlighten a few people there's there's some fantastic uh, young talent out there I think uh, just on the player 2 platform recently I was highlighting 
a host of different titles from uh, students at RMIT University in, in Melbourne here. They had a big showcase down at Acme in Melbourne. They were showcasing all their wares and, and the like there, and we spotlighted every single one of them. And I, I was just, I mean, thank God for the lockdowns lifting. I was actually able to get out and go and you know, meet some of these people and put hands on myself, but it, it just really highlighted, and I think I knew this anyway, but getting to be there and see it really highlighted the incredible next generation of developing t- uh, talent that's out there and there's a really cool opportunity ahead so please talk a little bit about it yeah for sure so you hit the nail on the head there's a lot of incredibly talented people in australia and one of the things that i found frustrating about the industry is as i talked about earlier when i moved over here in 2005 there was a lot of opportunity and a lot of places for people to work at all different scales at different studios at different sizes and you know when we started the, we were starting the graduate program so this is our fifth year of it so whatever that was five years ago is when we started it and uh you know I, I sort of reflect on the fact that there was no pathway into industry for these people now there was no one who was sort of really taking a punt on, on juniors and you look around the industry particularly when when the demographics in the industry were changing people were seeing the opportunities and looking outside the norm you know in terms yeah. of the pale stale and male industry oh, uh, they, they, I, uh, I haven't heard it worded that way before but that is brilliant <laughs> and really sadly accurate ah uh, yeah i mean look uh, you know i i understand where you know my position within this but that doesn't mean you can't be a, a advocate for change right like oh I think for sure the old um how does that saying go if uh you can commit be the change by doing nothing yeah oh yeah that yeah. too so yeah like, yeah yeah, so it's, it's, they're all they're all sort of saying the same thing, right? Which is, uh, it's one thing to moan about the state of the industry, but it's something to just get up and, and, and start making steps to fix it. So, you know, I was seeing in our graduate or in our sort of our junior applications a far different uh, demographic than what we're seeing in like our senior and mids. And so I thought, okay, there's an opportunity here for us to do something with the scale that we're at and and the size of studio that we are, where we can start building that pathway into industry and give people that that first year, right? Get that year on your resume. Where wherever you go, you can then um, look back at you know you can, you can point it and say look you need X Y Z experience. We've I've had this experience working at Mighty Kingdom. Uh, so that that was the intent. Uh, the reality was they're also brilliant. We ended up just hiring them. <laughs> so it was uh, you know we didn't quite end this, up being this, this bridge. Yeah, no, they're, they've all been uniformly brilliant. And I think that's just a reflection of the fact that there are so few pathways in that you're getting the cream of the crop, right? And you're getting the the best of the best. And so it's probably no, it shouldn't be any surprise. But uh, but it's also been you know we had some some goals for uh, what we wanted the, the the graduate program to do and the sort of people that we want to come through it um but we've never actually set any quotas or anything it was more of a hope than a than a than sort of manufacturer if that makes sense yeah it makes sense but every year it's, it's been it's been very we've had an incredibly diverse like uh, range of people coming through and that, that's been super exciting and we've over the years refined a process that is designed to help surface the type of candidates who be really who respond really well to the program and who would do really well um, we're, we're focused a lot less on well there's there's a technical skill level like a floor like a technical skill floor you have to you know, overcome to get in yeah but really we're, we're focused on like you know who, who is this person you know what is their lived experience what what are they bringing to our studio that we haven't seen or that we haven't heard um you know how can they add to the culture that we have within the studio um so we want to learn a lot more about the person themselves and we think you know what is what are their where are they at with their skill you know with their skills and we do some tests um but those tests are designed to show how, how do you respond to feedback? How do you um, take what you what you've been told and use that to refine your work and improve it? Yeah. And we, what we're essentially trying to do is build a little trajectory of what your career is going to look like and how having a year at Mighty Kingdom can really accelerate that and, and push you up into that next level. 
and uh, yeah, and you know, uh, it's been incredibly successful. So 32 applicants have gone through the program to date. Um, we're looking for a number TBD. We always like to, to leave the final number up until we've seen all the applicants come through because sometimes if people you some people you just can't them. ignore, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, would, wouldn't be surprised to be you know in that sort of six to eight range um, this year. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a, it's been fantastic for us. We, we, we're trying to advocate for other studios to to pick up a similar uh, similar process as well and and try and get uh, more options for for graduates in this space. Because I think that's, you... that's ultimately what it's about, right? Do you feel like in, in, in that respect and talking to other you know, local developers for similar sort of initiatives, do you feel like there's any sort of traction in that space? Yeah, everyone's very interested in it. There's, you know, sometimes it's... Uh, What's it's feasible for them. And, yeah, exactly. It's easy to sit here and say, well, it works for me, you know, it should work for you. But everyone's studio is quite different and, and yeah. the, the challenges and you know, the, the pressures that they're facing are going to be very different as well. So it's about, uh, you know, about doing it at the right time it takes it takes a lot of investment it takes a lot of commitment like we're essentially giving you one year on the job uh you know paid uh position within the studio and that is you know you get a a mentor that is there to teach you technical skills and help you become a better practitioner what you do but also um you know a, a mentor that helps you on the soft side of yep. skill side of things as well there's an investment on the you know we've got a training division that helps in, in sort of structure the course and make sure that there are training outcomes as, as it goes along it's you know it's very it's very intensive and to do it right uh, it takes a lot of resource and a lot of attention. So it takes it means your studio has to be a certain size to really be able yeah. to absorb the juniors in and, and give them that experience and, and and do it in a way that adds value both ways. You know, because for us, what we really want to do is we want to see the the next generation within this industry. And you know, we've of those of those thirty two, most of them are still with us. The handful have, have moved on, but. And one of them's gone to, to Sledgehammer. Uh, one of them's he stuck struck out on his own, doing some amazing things. So there's, you know, the the goal here is for them to take that experience, take all the things we do at Mighty Kingdom that they think are great, and infect other studios with those ideas, right? And, and yeah, start, and uh, hopefully bring the good, you know, as we bring other people into Mighty Kingdom, that they bring all their good ideas in as well, and the whole whole industry gets moved forward through it. Yeah, I mean that's that's fantastic. That whole idea of you know giving like you always you always take, but you need to give back as well, and I think. Uh, this is a fantastic way to do it because those you know those those fortunate candidates or um, applicants they they come through they they take they learn they you know there's so much that you can absorb from that and then as you've described for anyone who has left and you know people will come and go that's the nature of life um, all things going well like you've described in those couple of examples they they take what they've learned and they they can share that and they can help better and it's not to say that any of the place they they're going to are horrible to begin with I'm definitely not trying to suggest that. <laughs> but um, you know, every, you know, lifting everyone up, it, it can only be a good thing, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and we talked earlier on about uh, you know, don't be a jerk, right? That's sort of like a, a good mantra to follow as you as you find your way into the industry. But uh, as, as you find your footing, um, you know, not being a jerk is really the lowest bar that you can that you can clear. So the thing we like to say internally is to be an example, right? Make sure that the things that we do at Mighty Kingdom are an example for others to follow. Uh, and this is this is one way that we feel we can do that. That we can give graduates this opportunity. We can get them into industry. We can give them that experience, and set them up for a career. That's that's one way we can be an example to others. That's that's a fantastic way of looking at it. And uh, possibly something that I'll bring into my classroom next time I go to teach my students. Just remind <laughs> them, hey, let, like let's ignore this. Don't be a jerk thing. Be an example. I, 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 that's a fantastic way of looking at it. Um, 
I guess one of the important notes for anyone who is listening and may actually uh, may be considering applying, and again, you've got a very short amount of time, so hop to it once you're done listening to this. But um, uh, Mighty Kingdom's taken on a lot of, lot of people over the course of the last few years. I, you know, I see a few a few friends or whatever who've who've got uh, who've gotten jobs or are working there. Do they need to be based in South Australia or can they be remote? I guess that's just to clarify that for people. So the graduate program is in Adelaide, so you'll need to be able to relocate to Adelaide. And and it's open to anyone who has essentially working rights within Australia. So that's Australian and New Zealand citizens yeah. are able to apply. Um, so, and we will relocate you to Adelaide for the for the course and for the, the graduate program. I'm not based out of Adelaide, Adelaide myself, but it is a fantastic city. So you you could be doing a lot worse. Please uh, definitely consider it. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. And look, one one of the reasons we did we, we debated about doing a remote course, and you know because of the um, the, the the pandemic, we had one graduate start remote um, two years ago, but you know very quickly we, we managed to bring her across. The um, one of the things we've learned about it as, over the years is that th- those cohort that comes in together, like you know when you when you bring in sort of you know, six to eight people coming in at once they get to know each other. They're all going through a very similar journey, right? So they become really good yeah. friends. That becomes your, that's a, that's a lived experience that you all go through that becomes that connecting tissue that builds the uh, that, that network. This this becomes your network, right? Those people who then move on to other They're your things. core. That, that's exactly it. That, that, that's your foot into the door wherever you want to go. So uh, like that's why we wanted to you know, bring people into Adelaide and that's why we're willing to relocate people in to, to make it happen. No, that's fantastic. So, uh, as I said, please, if you're listening to the show now and it's and it's still Tuesday, please be sure to wait. What day? Of the week? Yeah, yeah, it's still Tuesday. <laughs> please be sure to apply. It's a fantastic opportunity not to be missed. As we start to wind things down, though, we'll just we'll, I, I'd like to quickly touch on. I haven't had too many people on the show in the past that are actually based in Adelaide. They've they've had various different experiences. <laughs> uh, we hear all about Melbourne. We hear all about the, the the Queensland scene. We hear lots of you know. There's lots of hot spots around Australia. There's some fantastic talent there out just outside of Mighty Kingdom as well. What do you see as as you said one of the one of the, the bigger entities in the business certainly in Australia? What do you see as you kind of look around the the Adelaide or the South Australian landscape in terms of game development? There's obviously some fantastic developers there from you know, Team Cherry, for example, um, as being one of the, the highest of profile indies there. But what else do you what else do you see as you look around? It doesn't get much bigger than Team Cherry, does it? Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're pretty amazing. Absolute uh, blockbuster success, and and like they're, I don't know if you've met them, but they're incredibly lovely. They're I haven't. I'm very fun. I'm very keen to have a chat at some point. I haven't been able to establish that network yet, but uh, very yeah, keen no, to do so at some point. They're very small group, very tight knit, very um, you know, just very just just lovely. You, you know, sometimes when you see success, uh, and and it goes to the right people, you're like, yeah, the world does work. They deserve <laughs> the universe that. has got this one right. So yeah, no, it was it was really good. They they worked a long time, they worked really hard on that to, to make that what it is. Um, you know, but beyond um, beyond Team Cherry, there are there are there's a lot happening. We've got um, uh, Matt Trobiani with uh, I think yep. the Team Fractal Alligator who does the Hacknet, which is you know, again a fantastic product. Um, and most recently, Wrestle Dunk Sports as his oh, most yeah, recent yeah, title. Yeah, I should, should, pl- should plug his new game. Yeah, I mean, so. yeah, Matt, Matt was on the show a few months back, so he was he was oh, talking about that. And- <laughs> Look at and it's it's amazing, right? Like it's hard to, uh, it, it's always hard to find success in two different places. So like you know, good on him for, for not just like becoming the hacknet guy, right? You know, he, he's pushed himself into new areas and pushed yeah. himself to try new things. Yeah, not again, not denigrating what uh, Team Cherry does with the uh, with Hollow Knight because that's 
yeah, they, that's that's Ari's craft, right? He's built that over years, yeah. and, and he's got many, many more stories he wants to tell there before he stops that. Um, but if you look at um, you know Foxy, as uh, I just mentioned before, they've they've sort of come out of nowhere, and uh, you know both Foxy and um, and Odd Games won the the Fast Movers Award recently in, in yep. one of our shows. Two game companies coming in one and two, so you know that's that's exciting. Odd Games doing with all their all their mud and dirt, you know their their monster truck racing. Yeah, there's a lot of really smart stuff and there's a lot of smaller things um, bubbling away that will hopefully pop up and bloom and become the next big thing right like we're you, you sort of mentioned the, the our position here in, in south australia and we understand that we are the largest by by some distance and we want to make sure when we're using that um that megaphone that we have to amplify these smaller voices right the ones yeah. that often don't get heard like, I, I remember what it was like being you know starting up and trying to get anyone's attention from the government to do anything useful for our industry and, and how tough that was and no they governs as stubborn entities <laughs> but uh, uh sometimes it's a good cause but sometimes they're just stubborn for stubborn sake but the um but you know uh, what we've been able to do there to advocate for some change in our industry to, to bring in something like the um you know we've had the the, the recent 10 percent um oh, yeah. for, that sort of came in um, yeah, we were the first state in the, in the country to, to put that in, and now you've seen it prop up in New South Wales and and in Queensland. So that's 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 exciting to see South Australia be the lead. But it is a bit of a it's a bit of a different scene to what you get elsewhere. It's it's quieter. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> but, everything seems a bit more low key. No less talented, <laughs> definitely no less talented. Again, we've highlighted some fantastic examples, including obviously what's going on at Mighty Kingdom. But yeah, everything's just a bit more muted, subtle. And yeah, again, not in a bad way. <laughs> I, I always, uh, always, always found uh, the Melbourne scene to be incredibly creative, incredibly passionate, but just very noisy. Though. Noisy. Yeah, I just, I just get a bit of a, a bit of like a secondhand anxiety watching it all happen. Like, you know, I have to check out a Twitter every now and then. I don't post a lot. I just, uh, I just, but I, but I read really skulk. And um, yeah, yeah, that, that okay. That's a, that's one word for it. But uh, no, like you want to, you want to sort of see what's going on and what what the trends are and stuff. But. But yeah, and it's hard to know how to engage and, and do that in a way that's, uh, you know, not going to blow up in your face. I'm just really nervous. I'm now I'm, I'm showing my age. I don't know how social media works. No, 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 no you're fine. No, there's no so, no issues there at all. <laughs> but yes, as, as we both kind of land on some like some fantastic talent there, and certainly a scene for people to keep an eye on. Will it get us uh, to use, use the language both both use there noisy as Melbourne? Maybe not. But don't dismiss any of the titles coming out of South Australia because, again, and I guess, you know, what, what Team Cherry have done, you, you mentioned it before, like they are the, the big name, they're the, the, the rock star sort of, well, not rock star in terms of the development, you know what I mean. Um, they, you know, they're, they're a mainline act and that's, that's fantastic, but there's this other layer. And again, Matt Trobiani is a great example. There's some fantastic people there many of which are at your studio but doing some fantastic <laughs> stuff so please be sure to keep an eye out for everything that's going on there it's a great scene as we start to wind things down cycle back to you just a little bit is there anyone out there that you look at from afar or that you've worked with that really inspires you in the way you go about your work maybe continues to inspire you yeah the the, the people that tend to inspire me are the ones who who not just have have luck you know who, who everyone can sort of get lucky in this industry and, and have a success that, that goes up but the ones that i always sort of gravitate to are the people who are able to do that repeatedly yeah and predictably right people who keep coming back and having success after success because that is really hard it's no and, fluke uh, yeah so there's, there's and there's a few like, there's a few businesses that do it well um 
Supercell obviously being a standout in that area. And you talk to those guys about how they think about development and how they think about design. It's it's just eye-opening. It's just such a yeah. different different way of viewing it. Um, and, you know, close to home, uh, my old mate Steve over in at Ninja Kiwi, I'm always constantly impressed by how he's managed to just keep finding successes, you know, one after the other. Even, like, you know, I'm spending a lot of time talking about New Zealand, but that's, you know, I did grow up there. But, uh, you know, Mario and the team at Pickpock have made that transition from being a console developer to a mobile developer and now back to a console developer. You know, like a transition that so few people have made in either direction and they've done it twice. So, like, that's successfully. That's, that's, yeah. And they've just, they've grown and grown and grown through the whole time. So, that's, that's, that's impressive. And, you know, that, that's just locally. There's, you're always looking around to see what, uh, what people are doing that's smart. You, you, you know, we talk to a lot of different people. It's funny because so many of them move companies. I couldn't even tell you how them work yeah. <laughs> anymore. But uh, you know, there's um, just recently one of my friends has moved back to Adelaide. Um, uh, ben Dickinson. He's uh, just come back from uh, three years over in, in Germany and in, and in Finland. Uh, so I'm really keen to get in touch with him and, and pick his brain and hear all the things that he's been learning while he's away. So yeah, there's a, like you said, there's a lot of really smart people around. Um, and the, the ones that I like talking to are the ones who look at the world differently and you see opportunity through a different lens and aren't afraid to, to, to try new things. You've highlighted some fantastic examples throughout the course of the episode of that. So, um, yeah, hardly a surprise, I guess, in the end. Have there been any particularly valuable lessons or experiences you've picked up along the way, things that continue to drive you even today? Is there something that really stands out? Even things like, oh. you know, the be, examples, be an example sort of mindset. Is, you know, is there anything that's really stood out? over the journey that yeah helps fuel the day-to-day or inspire the day-to-day day-to-day one of the things that I, I think about a lot and it was something that Jindo and i talked about when we started this whole journey together back in the day we we sat down to do a bit of a like a values alignment it's a little yep. process you go through to make sure that you're, you're both pulling in the same direction and uh, his take was that he's like you know obviously i'm i'm here for success like, I'm, I'm happy if we find success like that's what we're here for but equally I'm happy if we find failure because then it means we know what not to do. We'll just do something else, and but let's get there fast. Because what I don't want to do is wake up in five years with the same problems. Like his fear was mediocrity, and and I think that's what's always sort of pushed me. Right, and, and that's in, in a couple of ways. It's always be looking to, to push yourself forward, and that's on your own learning. You know, making sure yeah. that you're not getting complacent with where you're at, that you're not thinking that you're done, but thinking that you're good enough. Because that's the moment when you when you fall behind. It's the moment when you get overtaken. And you sit around thinking, yeah, you know, uh, but also upgrade your problems. Like keep pushing yourself to, to take that next step and, uh, and and taking yourself to that next level so that you aren't just facing the same challenges day in, day out. Keep keep pushing to upgrade those problems, get to that next level and, and uh, yeah, and banish mediocrity. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we'll put, put mediocrity to the sword. A couple of little fun ones <laughs> as, we, as we start to wrap things up. If there's any game that you could be credited for in any capacity, so you could just retroactively add your name in there, like I would love to have been able to work on X. Oh, jeez. You're this not kicking cool. anyone out. You're not going to say, yeah, get out of here, Hideo Kojima. This is, you know, I made Metal Gear Solid. We're not doing anything like that. But if there's anything you could just say, like even if it's a special thanks, is there any game that you just wish you could have been you know, a part of? There's so many, like having made games for so long, and understanding how painful it is <laughs> and I, I don't really want to wish myself into any of these, <laughs> these big, big titles right because it's like oh man i'm just giving myself a whole bunch of pain um but look like, that's where the special thanks can come in handy you can say look i was <laughs> i just i walked I in with donuts one day and everyone was happy they acknowledged me for it i'm in the credits great <laughs> you know I, I would have loved to have been uh, in the team at bioware as i was coming up with um with mass effect 
and looking at how they were pushing narrative into into ways that just hadn't been done before. It, like the things Absolutely. that are standing now were things that they were discovering. I'd love to be in a fly on the wall to see how those discussions went and how and how that uh, you know how all that discovery process went because it, it blew me away. It blew me I mean, away. Mass Effect Two is one of my favorite games. Yeah, look, up to a point, there's I think there's still aspects of that Mass Effect trilogy in terms of the storytelling there that still haven't been attempted by others. Not because they they can't, but the the risk I guess associated. There was I think there was a you almost have there has to be maybe a degree of arrogance or confidence whatever sort of language we want to use say we can create an arc now admittedly mass effect the original mass effect was designed that it could have stood alone if it needed to but i think there there had to have been a degree of arrogance slash confidence or yeah. financial surety it was like we can do this we're gonna do this good luck to anyone yeah. else who wants to have a crack and i think everyone's a little bit intimidated by the prospect of trying to replicate that yeah look at the the fact that they came out the gate so strong like i have spoken to some of the writers and just to think just thinking just talking to them about how they constructed character and and, and build those it's it, it was amazing and just to, to be there at that moment where they were given that freedom to just try all these different things and and there were no rules essentially right they were sort of writing the rule book and a lot of these things that that was that was really exciting and i know the reality was probably way more chaotic and way more frustrating and and, and way more you know uh, like painful but uh, the result was was something something special and I often reflect on uh, the, the number of things that they did right and they got them straight out the gate. Like I often talk about how you can just draw draw three colored lines and people will go, that's Mass Effect. Like that's that's when oh, you've yeah. nailed your brand. Yeah, you've right. Nailed, you, you've nailed it so so much, right? That that you can just distill it down to this core. Just a letter and a number even. And that's it. People know exactly what it is. And that's uh, that, that storytelling at, at its peak, right? Those, those characters, those experiences, I live with them. But you know, when I, when I, when I was playing it, it reminded me of... Um, uh, Grim Fandango. I don't know if you've. Oh yeah, 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 I've played Grim. Yeah, I Grim. Sorry. That 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 scene at the end when you say goodbye to Glottis when you get on the train. Oh my god, that was boring. <laughs> like that was like the first time a game made me just go, "Holy crap, that is that is intense." And Mass Effect got me back to those places, right? That just that intensity of just like, I don't want these people to die. Like, you know, this is a game. I'll, I'll fight I'm for them. I'll do whatever it is I need to do. Like, yeah. You just you just reload or whatever. But no, this was like I actually care about these people in a, in a real profound way. Yeah, I remember finishing the third one putting my control down and going damn that's it that's the last time i'm going to see these people i guess there's a sense of loss and that yeah that doesn't come you know, by by accident that's just a lot of craft and a lot of a lot of love and attention poured into that title and so yeah i talk about it a lot <laughs> no, f- fantastic choice if you could go back and replay any game so strike it from your memory and get to replay the game for the first time is there one that you'd pick uh, an obvious standout <laughs> that you pick is it mass effect uh... You can absolutely you know, use the same answer twice. I, that's, if, that's... I can go, if I can go, if I can go back in time, I remember playing. Uh, so the, the, a couple of memories that really stuck stuck out. Playing Quake with the three D graphics cards, yep. the, the GL GL Quake. I was like jaw on the floor. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. The sense of wonder, just seeing everything, the lighting, the, the just. just I, I couldn't believe that this was coming up on my computer screen. To me, it was the most realistic thing I'd ever seen, which is hilarious. And, now, and now, now we see just, Quake come back on uh, recently, and it's yeah. still a little bit laughable. But you're right, though. Like, Even, yeah, it just it just literally blew my mind. I, I that was when I was just like, I have to understand how this how this happened. Like, I have to understand it. Like, how does this work? And uh, that sort of set me down my path of being a programmer and learning about graphics and rendering and a whole bunch of things. So, like, just that that sense of wonder that we used to get from those early days of gaming, where the, the, everything was changing so quickly there was no rules i, I remember you know the things that used to love me i used to love about commodore 64 and uh, even to, to a degree the, the mega drive before uh, you know around the same time was just 
the experimentation just the random stuff that people tried yeah like a the other the other one that i got that that feeling again was um katamari damacy on the on, oh, yeah. on the ps where i was just like what is this <laughs> like what is happening Who yeah i'm still i'm still a bit confused by that oh man i love it it's just like i love it when those moments where people just look at this and go what if we just do something like you know what if we just throw all that away and just come out with clean eyes and, and that's that's what's exciting to me about this next generation of developers right is that they are coming from such diverse and interesting backgrounds they're bringing these clean and fresh eyes they're looking at problems looking at storytelling looking at things in a way that we haven't we can't even conceive right and that's why i'm excited by this industry and where it's going yeah yeah we're, we're on a fantastic track and who knows what's to come philip thank you so much for coming on and sharing this incredible journey so far the mighty kingdom is doing some fantastic things again just to quickly cycle back to our point before if you're looking to apply you've got till the end of day today from when this episode goes live to do so so please get busy um the studio's doing incredible things you've done some incredible things and thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far if people want to tune in learn more about what you're up to what mighty king are up to what should those people do Probably the easiest thing to do would be to follow us on Twitter at Mighty Kingdom. Uh, a lot of our stuff gets posted through there. And uh, yeah, we'll um, get some great resources that we're putting up around how do you get started in the industry um, and how to construct your CV and a whole bunch of different things that are sort of all popping up there. Oh, fantastic. That will help. Um, so yeah, we, we're all about, uh, as you probably discovered, we're all about not just growing Mighty Kingdom, but growing this industry and, and making this a permanent fixture of the of the scene here in Australia. Uh, so come what may, we'll always have game devs at scale. No, that's that's great to hear, and uh, good luck with everything that's to come. You, you, again, you're all doing some fantastic stuff, and I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you for sharing everything yeah. today. No worries, and I uh, can't wait to share all the exciting things we have done the pipeline. Yeah, there's more to come. And listeners, always. as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Philip's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.